We've been going through a series uh, called Rebuild, and we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, and uh, we've been at this for, gosh, this is the sixth installment and full steam ahead. We'll see if we get through the whole book or not. Um, but anyway, so we've been going through the series called Rebuild, and sort of the heart behind it is because uh, we see in the Bible how God worked in His people and through His people to rebuild in their lives, and we're kind of in a season as a church family where we are rebuilding. And uh, so for me, in thinking through you know, what is it that we need to hear in this season for this time? I think we need to hear what the Bible has to say about this rebuilding effort, because uh, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, uh, as much as we'd love for it to be, um, often with some sort of initiative of rebuilding, as much as we've prepared for it, usually there's some kind of opposition. And so, just to kind of review the last couple of weeks, the first week we talked about how God is always true to His people. Nehemiah was a man living in Persia, uh, but his family was from a land called Judah. It was in the Promised Land, and that was where the capital city of what once was the nation of Israel, uh, that was their capital city. And so he had his relatives come and visit. He said, how's everything? They said, not good. And that really broke his heart because he got to see, well, through the words of his relatives, that, wow, even though I thought God was doing this amazing thing and bringing all the people back to that capital city in that region, um, things were not going well. And so he immediately went into uh, the place of prayer and fasting, um, even while he was on the job with uh, serving uh, the cup of wine to the king. And one day, about four months after this encounter, uh, the king says, what's up? What's going on? You don't look like your normal self. Um, why is your face so bad? That's literally what that, uh, when he says that to him. And so Nehemiah pours out his heart. The king says, what do you need? We'll do it. And Nehemiah starts on this journey to go to uh, the, the city of Jerusalem and to assess the situation. And so the second week, uh, we found that with God's grace and help, we can rebuild. Um, he got there, and things, true to the report, were not good. Uh, he just went around and did a, an assessment on his own, um, and then he met with their officials and all the people to say the testimony and the witness of, hey, God is doing something here and now, and that's why I'm here. Uh, to help spur that on. And the people said, yes, let's get to work. Everybody pitched in. The third week, uh, we read this really long list of names. Uh, next week will also be a long list of names, but anyway, lots of people were contributing. And all of that in chapter 3 tells us that God rebuilds through us. Um, even though the name of God is not mentioned once in chapter 3, uh, we see that the people are working. They're actually getting to work and doing the thing that they had set out to do to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. <clears throat> Fourth week, um, that's when the opposition started coming in. We see things are not always sunny and awesome 
And so there were people from the outside of Jerusalem who were the surrounding areas. They were not happy that this rebuild effort was going on, and so they were doing everything in their power to stop it. Um, and so the encouragement from that chapter and that week was really take heart, which in the Bible really means have courage. Keep going. God is our defender in strength. That even no matter what comes against you, God is going to defend. God is going to give you that strength that you need. Last week, uh, we, we covered a topic called fighting for family. And it was really... Um, even with all the opposition, Nehemiah um, was the governor of the region, and the people came to him and started complaining about the injustices that they were facing because of food shortages and um, high taxes, and the officials who had been in place were corrupt and were uh, not treating God's people like God said to treat his people. And so Nehemiah put a stop to it. Um, but we really found that God's good for his family is justice, mercy, and humility. And we see that in the life of Nehemiah. That all brings us to today. You can go to the next slide. Um, the title for today's message is Fighting for Faithfulness. Um, I was wondering whether to use the word fighting, um, but I think it's a fitting word because there's attacks that are still coming against the people. And uh, our main chapter and verse for today is Nehemiah 6, verses 1 through 19. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring together today is that focused faithfulness completes God-given good works. For just a moment, I'd like to, to read a familiar verse from Ephesians um, that I think kind of helps shed some light on uh, what we're about to read here. I should have marked it out. Pardon me. Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Uh, verse 10. It's a very familiar verse. You probably, if you've ever helped out with a VBS before, uh, you've probably read this to a child. Um, or you've heard it and you thought, wow, that's amazing. Um, so this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. Um, and he's going through the section uh, where he's talking about being made alive in Christ. And at the end of the section, he says, for we are God's handiwork. Some of your translations say God's masterpiece. For we are God's workmanship. That's right. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So even though Nehemiah, this is pre-Jesus, what we're about to talk about, this is all before Jesus. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the same God who was the God of the Old Testament. And so how God operated back then and how he worked in and through his people, that's how he operates even, you know, uh, at this point in church history and even today. And so I would submit to you that in your life and our life as a church family, there are things, good works that God has given us to do that we need to get about doing really. Um, the challenge, though, is that it is really easy to get distracted. 
whether by good things uh, or by things that are coming from the outside and are kind of coming against us, whether that's a spiritual attack on us or maybe a, a literal relational attack by somebody um, in our lives. So focused faithfulness completes God-given works. Uh, I'd like to open with an illustration beyond that point. <clears throat> so a couple of years ago, I was working at an appliance store in Corvallis, Oregon called Stover, Evie, and Jackson. I had a whopping two-and-a-half-month stint at this place, but it felt like two years. Um, and here's why. So I was the, the office clerk who would sometimes double as a salesperson. So if you ever have a, a need for an appliance, please come talk to me. I'd love to give you my two cents that you can fully take with a grain of salt and do your own thing. I know you did, Stephen. Uh, so anyway... So what I would do is I would get to work in the morning. I would look um, uh, at the schedule of technicians for the day, where they were going, uh, because I was the one where if somebody had a problem with their, their oven or their refrigerator or their anything that we sold them, we serviced what, they sell, what we sold, um, you know, they would call, I would answer, and I would take down all the details to pass along to our technicians. And so, but what was fascinating about working in this environment is it was a classic example of the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Because while I'm, I'm talking, taking down details for one person, another call comes in. And then I have to say, can I put you on hold? Hang up, pick up. And then I have to answer again, hey, this is Stover Evan Jackson. How can I help you? Can I put you on hold? And I, you know, I was that guy. <laughs> um, and so then not only do I have to do this, but then I have to, you know, type uh, up all these notes and everything, have to communicate with the technicians because sometimes they're going on, out on this call. They don't know if they have the part that they need or if we have the part they need. Then there's also the people in the store who are wanting attention because they have come wanting a water filter for their refrigerator. They, you know, maybe they want to be Mr. Fix-It, and so they've come wanting to know, hey, can I get this element for my, my oven? A lot went on from, I think I would get there at 7 in the morning, and we'd open at 8, and then until like 6 o'clock at night, just non-stop. The only real stops that I got uh, were my lunch break. Um, and that's just, I mean, if you run, if, if you talk to people who have worked in a parts desk before, that's really, that's the life. I know that legally you're supposed to, you know, get breaks every couple hours, but let's be honest, that doesn't always happen, folks, um, no matter what industry you're in. And so, <clears throat> I use this illustration because all these people, they, they came, you know, they were coming to me with their problems. And then I would, you know, I'd be trying to address their problem, but then somebody else would bring me another problem. And then I'd have to address that. And then I'd have to do and address another thing. And it was really easy to get off task. One of the interesting things at Stover, Evie, and Jackson, just to wrap up this illustration, is that when I first got there and I was getting trained to do this job that I had no idea even existed in the world, 
they told me, now you're going to learn this computer software, but we have this other software that we're setting up. The only problem was, and this software, it was the Cadillac of the software that you could get, and it was going to make everybody's life a million times easier. That's always the case, right? But anyway, so they had this program, and they kept telling me, we're going to get that program up and running. It'll be a couple weeks. A couple weeks went by. Okay, it'll be another couple of weeks. What's fascinating is there was this work, there was this task, this job that needed to be done, but we were distracted by all the other things even good things. Now, Nehemiah, when we talk about what he faced, it was not good things. But, you know, even good things, necessary things that needed to be addressed, it was distracting from the main goal, the main mission. We want to help our customers, but we're being distracted by helping our customers. And so I, I use that as kind of a loose illustration to say, you know, we can get distracted sometimes, uh, sometimes all the time. Maybe. Maybe you walk into one room and you forget why you walked in there. <laughs> right? I do that all the time. And so, and I'm only 35, so here we go. It's only going downhill from here. So, I, with all that being said, let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 1. Nehemiah 6, verse 1. When Word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Oh, no. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent this uh, his aide to me with the mes same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah. I don't know, that, that's how you say that name. Anyway, the son of Mahatabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, 
Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a, a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So, the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Amen. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah son of Era, and his son Jehoanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Okay, there's a lot there. The first thing I see in our passage is we need to stay focused on the right things. Um, Nehemiah, he's working, he's doing what's exactly in front of him to do, that God had given him to do, and people are trying to get in his ear and trying to say, hey, we, we don't like what you're doing. Come, let's meet together. Um, there's too many, you know, I don't know, uh, mystery movies going through my head in that moment, thinking, don't do it, Nehemiah, don't do it. Don't go that way. No good can come of this. And so, you know, but to Nehemiah's credit, in his faithfulness, he stayed focused. He said, this is the work that God has given me to do. Um, you know, you say, come, let's meet together, but I'm doing this. Can't be bothered. Ignore that. So he stayed focused. Focused faithfulness completes God-given good works. And Nehemiah shows us this in this passage. You can go to the next slide. The second thing I see is to ignore fake news. <laughs> Amen? Now, I know that's a trigger phrase for some people, um, and it's just a general pop culture phrase now for others. Because uh, sometimes we label fake news just the things we don't want to hear. Like, oh, that's just fake news. I don't want to hear about that. But the interesting thing is that, so this happens four times, come, let's meet together in this other place, which would have left Jerusalem defenseless, even though the wall was complete, 
uh, not having your governor there, that's, that's not, a good, <laughs> not a good omen, so to speak. And so Nehemiah, he's just doing his work, doing the thing. And then uh, same message comes a fifth time, but then there's this other one where, uh, where Sanballat says, it's reported among the nation, and Geshem says it's true. Kind of like when, you know, you're, you're hearing the gossip chain. I heard it on the grapevine. Um, and it's like, well, so-and-so said it's true, so it's got to be true if they said it's true. You know, they're my best friend, so clearly their word is trustworthy. Um, and what I love about it is Nehemiah, he knows exactly what he's been doing. He has his alibi. Um, not to mention, I mean, he's not only governing the project, he's governing the people. He's having to take care of all these, these moving parts about this project. This guy doesn't have time to be conspiring against anybody. Not only that, he actually cares about the king of Persia because he was his, his, virtually his bartender. You know, he was close to the king. The king had trusted him with this project and said, go ahead and go, and I want to know when you're going to be back. And so Nehemiah, in all the character that he's shown us so far in the book, he's not going to double-cross his boss. He's not going to, oh, uh, uh, oh what's the phrase? Um, uh, he's not going to do an end run around, um, around his boss to try to say, ha ha, I'm king of Judah. You know, that's not how he is. He, he has a genuine care for the people, a genuine care for God's glory, because that's really what rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem is all about for him. And he has a care for the king of Judah, uh, sorry, uh, of Persia. Um, and so this is clearly false. Uh, this, and Nehemiah, he fact checks Sandalat, uh, to use another trigger phrase. He, he fact checks it and he says, look, nothing you say is true. Check your sources. <laughs> this is not true. Um, you're making this up. And so he ignores the fake news because really that's just a distraction. He wants to stay focused on what God's given him to do, which is rebuild this wall, which up until this point, you know, at the beginning of chapter six, it's all done. We just got to put the doors up, <laughs> which is a really important feature. If you have ever, you know, watched one of those um, uh, Renaissance style movies with castles and you have the drawbridge that goes up. You need the door on the house to protect what's inside. So the same is true of the city. Um, and so even though the walls didn't even have a, an opening in them, they needed the doors up. So focused faithfulness completes God-given good works. And so knowing what's true and what's not true. You can go to the next slide. The third thing I see is that Nehemiah uses wisdom and discernment. Because it's one thing to have the people from outside ridiculing you and trying to get at you. Uh, it's another thing when somebody is being devious and is using um, what would be considered common sense practice to try and uh, undermine the situation. 
And so there's uh, this person that I can't say their name, uh, son of somebody else that I can't say their name. And he says in, which verse is it? Verse 10, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are trying to kill you. Well, if I was Nehemiah, I would be thinking, no kidding. <laughs> are you serious? I didn't know that. I've only been getting, you know, correspondence after correspondence about this. Really? I had no idea. <laughs> um, but then not only that, but what this person is suggesting, that was, that was a common practice. That's even technically a practice today that you can, if you've done somebody wrong and uh, the the police or whoever's coming at you, you can go into a church and claim sanctuary, right? Um, that's still technically a practice that can happen today. Most people don't exercise it, but it's something that can happen. And so Nehemiah, he's, he's close to the Lord, and he's close to this project, and so he also, he uses wisdom and discernment to say, no, I'm seeing right through this. Um, you're not actually trying to help me. Um, so, no, I'm not going to go with you. Um, and so he uses that, uh, that God-given wisdom and discernment to, um, to operate. The, uh, you can go to the next slide. Another thing I see in our passage is that Nehemiah continues in prayer. He continues in prayer. So I, I know it's jumping back to chapter 5, but at the, in chapter 5, 19, it says, Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. And then here in uh, chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also these other people. And what's fascinating to me is that Nehemiah, through it all, he's not really stopping praying. Because... You know, he's not, he's not kicking it off with our Father in heaven <laughs> or, in, you know, some kind of formal address. He just keeps going. And what's fascinating to me about that is that Nehemiah is really living a lifestyle of worship and prayer and devotion to the Lord, where at any moment he can just call on the Lord and say, God, you see my situation. This is not going so good. Will you remember these people and will you kind of remove your favor from them, please? That would be super nice. Um, and I'm paraphrasing there. But so, but he continues in prayer. And we've seen throughout the series in rebuilding that he was a person of prayer. He was somebody where uh, his devotion to God was really important to him. Really, really. Like, fasting and praying for 40, uh, uh, sorry, for four months leading up to talking to the king kind of devotion. He was, his knees must have been calloused by that point if he was getting on his knees to pray. And so we see that in the passage. As kind of a summary to this, you know, of the focused faithfulness completes God-given good works. Uh, there's a quote I ran by today when I was trying to uh, just get distracted by scrolling through social media. Have you ever done that before, whether it's on your tablet? 
maybe you, you got your, your remote in your hand, and maybe for you it's the TV, and you're just flipping through channels, nothing good's on. Oh, that's an interesting infomercial. No, I'll, I'll just keep going. Oh, that, that's interesting. I'll veg out on that for a while. Anyway, I came across this quote uh, by a theologian and author N.T. Wright. Um, he has a lot of good material. If you're ever interested in any of his stuff, it's well worth the read. He had this to say. I don't know where it's from, whether it was a talk or a book that he wrote, but he had this to say. He says, what you do in the present is not worthless. It's not wasted. It's part of a much greater design. Our task is to be faithful to get on with our work. What I love about that is it reminded me of a moment when, um, this was probably 12 years ago now, I had already graduated from Portland State University with my bachelor's in English. Um, I had gotten married. I had my job at Safeway, working as a Starbucks barista. And I had felt this call on my life, and I thought, well, I really ought to get around to getting trained to be a pastor. I thought of being a music pastor, but God had other ideas in the long run. But the, the opening week of school, I was really uh, depressed and crestfallen, so to speak, where I was just amazed thinking, God, I have wasted so much time. Because as much as I love reading and I love Shakespeare and I love poetry and I love even reading, you know, modern Greek myth style writing book things that come out nowadays. I love reading and I love arguing things and I love writing when I get to write. It felt like, God, I have wasted so much time doing, chasing this other thing when really what you've given me to do in my life is this. And I feel like I've wasted so much time. And so we were at camp. Um, my Bible college that I went to, we were piggybacking off of the, the high school camp that was going on um, for an opening week camp. And this one person came up and gave me um, what the scriptures call a word of knowledge, uh, where it's something that uh, I have not disclosed to them, and it's something that uh, the Lord has given them some kind of an impression or, or a word about. And this guy, I, I think I'd said hi to him. I was an acquaintance of him. And he came up to me and he said, you know, I think that God wants me to tell you um, that nothing will be wasted. I hadn't told this kid, boo, about my feelings and how I, I was feeling kind of down in the dumps about how, man, I really want to be doing this, but I spent all this time chasing this other thing. And just the, the encouragement that nothing will be wasted and I really believe that for your life. Some of you, you came to the Lord later on in life. 
you have a whole history pre-Jesus that you can call to memory. Some good, some bad. And there is the tendency for all of us to get down out of the dumps and to say, I wasted so much time. I want to encourage you today. God is not done with you yet. He's not. Nothing will be wasted. And, and yet, even though nothing will be wasted, that doesn't mean that we just get to laze around. It means that if God has given us something to do, and we know that he's given us that thing to do, we really ought to get about doing that thing, shouldn't we? You know, for us as a church, God has given us uh, two main statements in the scriptures to know what to do as followers of Jesus. The first uh, is found earlier in the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, somebody asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, the laws and the prophets all hang. Basically saying, in summary, love God, love people. So that's one, one thing, one statement. The other thing that God has given us to do is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. That's the work of the church. And I think sometimes we get distracted. Even with good things, we get distracted. And sometimes we get our eyes off of the mission and we start looking around like, oh, there's that thing. Oh, oh, somebody's doing that over there. Or even maybe we're distracted by sin where the enemy is trying to get at us and trying to get us to trip up. The most encouraging verse for me in all of Scripture, it's all, in, there's a lot of encouragement in there. But one for me is in Proverbs where uh, the, the Solomon records this proverb saying, though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up again. And that image of, you know, the righteousness of that man could have been compromised by that fall. And yet the Lord gives him the strength to get back up again and to keep going. But it took that willingness to say, okay, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to get back on point on mission to make sure that I know that this is what God has given me to do and I'm going to do that thing. Now that's not uh, a earning of salvation issue. Salvation is a gift of grace by God through faith to you. Um, but on the other side of salvation, God wants to give us things to do and to partner with us. Now, all of this reminds me of Jesus because when we look at Nehemiah, the cool thing about Nehemiah is he actually did it. He was faithful. 
he was focused and faithful, and he completed what God gave him to do in a mere 52 days. And we don't know a bunch of the details of the rest of Nehemiah's life. We have some summary statements in the rest of Nehemiah. We don't know all that he struggled with personally. We don't know beyond all of those points. But in that way, Nehemiah reminds me of Jesus and how Jesus lived a perfect life. Something that we could never do on our own. And he was perfectly faithful even to death and death on a cross. And we know that because the Bible records about it, and we know from the testimony of people who knew Jesus and saw Jesus when he raised to life again that Jesus had really truly died, and he was faithful to that work that the Father had given him, even though he didn't want to do it. In the garden, when Jesus was praying, it was just a, a day or so before he was about to be crucified, he prayed to God saying, God, if there's any way we could do this another way. Can we please do it that way? But God had a plan to save us through Jesus, and Jesus was faithful to the end, even when we are faithless and we are unfaithful to our God. And the good news is that though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up again. And Jesus is there to help us up and to give us that strength, to strengthen our hands. And this all, all points me to communion because that is that perfect reminder of that is the work of Jesus on the cross for your salvation. To bring us back into an experience of the glory of God so that we could be restored, so that we could be rebuilt personally, and as a people. Jesus did that for you. And so, uh, right now, I don't know if we have any ushers this morning. I do? I stand corrected. Thank you, Nancy. Well, if you know that you're supposed to come and get the elements, come and get them. Um, but I want to, you know, as we come to the table today, I want you to know that in your life, God has good works planned for you in Christ Jesus. And we remember through taking the bread and the cup that Jesus did a perfect work for you. Oh, here. Good. Stay there, Patty. Stay there, Norm. Okay, cool. I need to, this is a good learning experience. I need to talk to my ushers before the service. Here we go. <laughs> so, all that being said, Jesus wants to do something in your life. And when we participate in taking uh, the simple cup of juice and the bread, we remember what he wants to do. He wants to restore us from the inside out.